of socio-political issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Good day to you, and welcome to episode 40 of You Don't Have to Yell. It's the bad boy of nonpartisan politics here, recording on the very same day I made my nine-year-old son cry over the prospect I might have to put my hair in a ponytail before we're all let out of the house. Now, one of the best things to come out of the current pandemic is the fact that it's been easy to forget that 2020 is a presidential election year, and yet, in six months, we'll all be headed out to vote in some form or another. And this begs the question, How well prepared for the 2020 election is our voting infrastructure? Now, to answer this question, as well as numerous others about the general state of elections in America, I called in voting security expert Jenya Coulter of the U.S. Vote Foundation, who was kind enough to join me while resting in place with her son. Now, Jenya's also precinct clerk for Polk County, Florida, so she's intimately familiar with how voting is handled at the most local level. A process I learned that involves boats, helicopters, and can be derailed by glitter pens. You're going to have to listen on to figure out what I'm talking about. I'll be back at the end with closing comments. And now, are you from Tampa? Is that right? No, actually, I was from Southern California, and then I moved to Florida a couple of years ago. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, my family and I just actually booked a trip to uh, Anna Maria Island for July. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. I go there every August. Oh, you do? Oh, my God. You and I are probably there at the same time because we, what happened with us is, so I have four kids and uh, and typically what we do is we do whatever, I'm, I'm up in Boston. So, you know, typically what we do is what every family from Boston does. We'd rent a house on Cape Cod and go there for a week and uh, and just kind of enjoy the beach. And there was one year where we kind of got, we kind of moved a little too late. And so there was no, there weren't any houses big enough to fit us all. And so that were, that kind of met our criteria. And so my wife had spent time down in Longboat Key when she was little. And she said, well, why don't we look down there? And so we looked. And first off, there are plenty of houses in the summer because it, it's not really a summer destination, right? It's more of like a... Not really. Yeah. It's more like, it's more for snowbirds in the winter. Yeah, bingo. So, so we went, so we, so we, tons of places available and it was actually just about the same cost for us to all fly down there and rent a house for a week with a pool near the beach as it would have been for us to get the same sort of thing up here. Second part of that is the weather in Florida is reliably better in all seasons, except for maybe hurricane season, than in Boston. And you can rent a place down the Cape in August and it could be 60 degrees and rainy all week and that's your vacation. So um, so we've gone down there, I think three or four times and, you know, this year with the whole pandemic and everything, we just, uh, you know, we, we decided like, we decided to just turn it into a road trip. So we're driving down July one and, uh, probably get there around the fourth and then just hang out in the pool and do absolutely nothing for, uh, for a few weeks. You'll laugh. I was, um, Sarasota County actually borrowed me to, um, to help them with a municipal election uh-huh. and Longboat Key is the only place I can think of where you actually have to transport your ballots and your election gear by boat. Really? 
For the municipal elections, yes, they actually have to do that. That's crazy. Why is that? Because it's, it's the key. And sometimes when the tide comes in, you've got the causeway. Um, there's so much traffic that uh-huh. a boat's actually a faster and more reliable way to get your stuff in. Got it. This is going to seem like an off-the-wall question. But I don't know if you remember the, the, the 2000 election, Bush versus Gore, right? Yes, I do. Okay. And Gore lost by a few hundred votes in the state of Florida. I remember watching the election on TV. I remember watching it. And I remember they declared Florida in favor of Gore. And then eventually they said, no, something's wrong. And then there was the whole Supreme Court case and all that stuff. If there's a state where a certain number of ballots are being shipped by vote, how in God's name does somebody know that somebody won an election by a margin of a couple hundred votes before like the boat comes in? That's a really good, that's a really good question. But if you think about it, Los Angeles County has uh-huh. had to transport their ballots by helicopter before. Really? There are some really unorthodox ways you have to get ballots back in the sake, for the sake of time. Wow. I didn't, we're very early in the conversation and we've already gotten here. So, so in Los Angeles County, so they, they, they throw the ballots on a helicopter and then they fly it. Is there some central ballot counting location or something like that? Or how, how does that work? Yes. Yes, because Los Angeles County, which is where I'm from, is mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. And if you're at the, the election operations center is in Norwalk, California, which is South Los Angeles. Okay. The area, um, there are areas of Northern Los Angeles County where to get, to put somebody on the road in the traffic, that is, it's pretty much playing Russian roulette as far as getting the ballots back safely. So they have the sheriffs come in get the ballots, transport them back by helicopter. And it's a lot faster and they don't have to worry about traffic. That is insane. And maybe, maybe I'll just take a step back. Now, I don't here. know if they do this. I don't oh, know boy. if they do this anymore, but they have, but they did do that. I think in 2016. Got it. Okay. So it's probably dependent on like the traffic report and how serious the election is and, and all that stuff. I, I guess maybe I'll take a step back here then. So, you know, I think a lot of us have zero idea how, or we have an imaginary idea. I've got my own imaginary idea for how ballots are counted and, and how they ultimately tabulate it. And it involves a bunch of like, you know, elderly people sort of like, you know, taking the ballots out of the box and then tallying them up and then calling up some central place to tell them what the count is. But I'm guessing that is entirely wrong. And most of the people listening don't have a good idea as to what actually goes into an election. So do you mind kind of really going election operations 101 with with me and and just telling me like from the moment I cast my ballot how does that ultimately get counted verified and then certified so you know John King or whoever can say on CNN that x person won this state okay well every jurisdiction is different there's about 10,000 voting jurisdictions in the United States and they're all snowflakes no two are alike Sounds however simple. this is what this is what we do, at least in my county. So when a voter puts their ballot in, mm-hmm. we have a precinct count ballot scanner that scans and tabulates their vote, lets the voter know that their vote got cast, we hand them their I voted sticker, and they're out the door. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the night, what happens is I run a tape, and that lets us know at least what our precinct's results are, mm-hmm. and those results are also transmitted via modem over to the election office. Mm-hmm. So they have an idea of what to expect. We pack up the ballots, we bring them back to the operations center, and at the operations center, 
all the vote by mail ballots are in the process of being tabulated on the um, DS850, which is a ballot scanner that has the same mechanism in it as a baseball pitching machine. Okay. This thing can, this thing can scan, I think, 2,500 ballots an hour. So it's out stacking vote by mail ballots and tabulating those. And then all of the early voting ballots and the precinct level ballots get, tab- get run through the scanner again, just so they can make sure that everybody's totals are correct. Okay. And then they start, then they start putting, and then the county can report their results to the secretary of state. Secretary of state can p- put their results out on the website. And so that's for your town or for your county? For the county. Okay. Are the districts or are, are the voting procedures, are they done typically like on a county level across the country or does that vary too? Um, Wisconsin is one of the outliers. They do think the elections there are, done, are run by municipal clerks. Mm-hmm. So they actually have, I think, almost 1,900 separate jurisdictions just in Wisconsin. But for the most part, elections are done at the county level in the, in the United States. Okay. Okay. And so I'm just, you know, thinking as you're saying all that, you have 10,000 different districts with 10,000 different rules. Are there inequities in the system then because of that? Or is it just that each system, ha- each, each county or district has to figure out the best way for them to get the proper results to the proper people? I think it's a little of both. Okay. I have to ask this because because you brought up you brought up the helicopters you brought up the boats. What's like the what's the weirdest system out there? Or is do you have one? You know, is there is there one municipality that just does things so far out of whack um, with everybody else? Well, it's not that anybody does anything all that out of whack. It's just yeah. that there are certain things that they do in other states that I'm like, you do that in your state, and I just can't imagine it because I'm so used to how things get done in Florida. Yeah. Um, for for example. When the ballots go back to the election office at the end of the night, hmm. me and my second in command are the one who transport them. Okay. And so that way we maintain a consistent chain of custody. Hmm. Now in Alabama, the sheriff and the probate judge come in, they take the ballots from the election workers and the chain of custody has another link in it. I'm just like, Oh my God, really? Yeah. But you know, again, I'm not in Alabama. So yeah, and I guess the idea would be the more times that that changes hands, the more room there is for some sort of malfeasance to go on. Is that right? Well, not a, not just malfeasance, but just there's two laws that apply on election day. Yeah. Murphy's Law and the Law of Unintended Consequences. <laughs> okay. Anything that can go wrong will. And you would be amazed about all the little things that can happen to a ballot that can go wrong in getting a ballot scanned. Yeah. I mean, there was, I mean, sometimes boxes of ballots go missing because of malfeasance. Sometimes they're accidentally left under a table and nobody thought to check under the table. Yeah. And I, now, and this was a big thing that was highlighted during uh, Bush v. Gore because they had the hanging chads and they had all these different, all these different issues that popped up that really created a lot of confusion around who the actual winner was. And so, I mean, I think it's probably fair to say that our system is, is not generally well-equipped for that close of a margin. Is that fair? That is completely fair to say. Um, and the other question, I mean, there are, there are elections that have been so close that they literally had to decide with a coin flip or drawing straws or drawing, a deck of, drawing from a deck of cards. Absolutely. Absolutely nuts. So, you know, obviously every, you know, every district sort of has its own, you know, unique way of doing things. Are there any sort of overarching issues that you feel could be addressed to positively impact our process? 
Okay, now I do think that some states have overly restrictive absentee ballot request rules, and they don't need to be that harsh. Okay. I think that anybody who wants an absentee ballot should be able to get one, whether it's mailing everybody a ballot or whether it's just making ballot requests a simple and straightforward process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know here in, here in Massachusetts, we have early voting. Getting an absentee ballot is fairly easy to do. What, what are some of the states that maybe are more restrictive than others? Um, definitely a lot of the southern states. Now, Florida makes vote by mail pretty easy, and I appreciate that because I actually used to work, I used to do the help desk for the U.S. Vote Foundation, mm-hmm. and one of the things I was constantly worried about was, where is this person's ballot? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that Alabama has, Alabama is a little difficult. Georgia can be tricky. Um, I know Mississippi makes it almost impossible. Yeah. And North Carolina used to make it, I, North Carolina, unfortunately, may have to tighten some of the restrictions because of the thing that happened with um, McRae Dallas and the Mark Harris campaign in North mm-hmm. Carolina's ninth district. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, that was genuine absentee ballot fraud. So yep. they're going to obviously have a knee jerk reaction. Is there any, uh, I, I, and who does that typically hurt as well? It depends. It definitely, um, it can definitely hurt people who are living with a disability and mail voting is the simplest way that they can get a ballot out. Mm-hmm. It certainly hurts voters who are elderly and it hurts voters sometimes who are minorities and college students. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things I have on my Twitter account is my MAP kids know that even if they're college, they can send me a DM and ask me what they're supposed to do to get their ballot. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm happy that I have the resources to be able to answer that. Because when you're, when you're a college student, there are very different rules as far as, your, as, far as domicile and residency. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, sometimes these kids are going, where am I a resident? Where does this get sent to? You know, how do I update this with the election office? Uh, Texas can make, Texas makes it very difficult for students who are out of state. Mm-hmm. Although in state, I think it's a little easier. Yeah. And is, I mean, obviously like, I, I think this is going to sound like a dumb question, but is there some amount of political calculus that goes into that saying, you know, if we just, if we make this more tough, these people won't vote and they're not going to vote for us. So we're going to kind of do it this way to make sure things are, rigged in our favor? Or is that a little too cynical of a, of a question? I don't like to think about it like that. But yes, yeah. I'm sure that does come into play, especially in heavily gerrymandered states. Mm-hmm. And the thing I think is interesting is vote by mail does not have to be a partisan issue. It mm-hmm. does not automatically favor Democrats. In fact, in Florida and Nevada and Utah and Nebraska, it actually favors Republicans. So if a political party is smart, they want to make sure their voters can get their hands on ballots. Yeah. Yeah. You know, trying to restrict it just, it really does mess up the franchise and it costs you potential votes. It's extremely short-sighted. Yeah. Well, you know, even I was thinking this as we, as we go into the 2020 election where obviously the, you know, the, the president has taken uh, a fairly public stance against vote by mail. And yet if you look at the two, constituencies that vote that will most likely vote in his favor you're talking uh military which tends to skew well i would say maybe it's a gross generaliz- generalization to say they skew to the right but certainly uh a lot of a lot of military folks tend to tend to vote republican and uh and the second are are people above age 65 and when i look at the potential in november for there to be a resurgence of covid-19 
I, I would think that at the very least, it would, you know, not allowing more people to vote by mail could potentially keep that 65 plus crowd home and could potentially ultimately end up hurting them. It absolutely will. And I think that, I mean, it's, I've never quite understood why the objection to vote by mail. Yes, there are some problems with it, but mm-hmm. it's really not bad, especially when we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, do you think like, is there, is there time to pivot? You know, do the states have time to change the voting rules to either accommodate vote by mail or figure out a way to conduct an election in a different fashion during the pandemic? Or is it just too late now and the ball's already rolling? Some jurisdictions are absolutely well prepared. I mean, there's um, states like Oregon, Washington, Colorado. Mm -hmm. They're already all vote by mail. So this is nothing for them. Yeah. Um, for Florida, Florida is pretty well equipped. Arizona is very well equipped. Then there's states like Pennsylvania and again, some of the southern states that really haven't had that many absentee ballot requests flood them at a given time. Mm-hmm. And pro- having, making sure that they have enough staff to process the requests and get the, get the ballots out on time, that's going to be a bit more of an undertaking. Yeah. And is, is some of this funding, is some, like, is some of this a funding issue? Because I'd imagine it costs a lot for a state to, for a state or municipality to operate an election. It's, well, elections are, thank God elections are not a business model because we would <laughs> be the worst business model ever. We are constantly in the red. Um, a ballot scanner that can handle all of those vote by mail ballots high speed that one runs, that'll run about $150,000, and that does not include the software or the licensing. Uh-huh. Um, the, mail ba- the mail ballot scanners that verify the signatures on an envelope, mm-hmm. those run about mm, 200000 to $500,000. Um, printing costs, obviously, it's, you know, it does, that's a consumable. Yeah. Um, postage, you have to decide whether your voters are going to need two forever stamps or if you're going to cover the postage, and do you have the funding? You know, UPS does offer a bulk mail rate, but you have to make sure, you know, you have to make sure you negotiate that with them beforehand. So then it, it, it sounds to me like, again, if we take Florida or we take Massachusetts or we take California, you know, these are fairly w- rich, well-resourced states. We can, they can probably afford the fancy machines and so on. But then if you're talking about a place like Mississippi, where again, the, uh, where, where again, they just don't have the same amount of resources, I'd imagine it is more difficult for them to conduct a, a, a fair election or for them to conduct a fair and accurate election in a quick manner. Is that right? Or am I off? Yes. It's, I mean, it's not just, it's not just the, um, it's not just the equipment. It's getting everybody trained. If a voter's used to voting on a touchscreen device, mm-hmm. filling out an absentee ballot is going to be different. Now it's not that voters can't figure that out. Obviously they can, but it is an adjustment and not every jurisdiction has a ballot, has paper ballots marked in the same way. You know, some people have to fill in the oval, other people have to draw arrows. And I have seen some amazing things done with absentee ballots. <laughs> yeah. What's the best one you've seen? Um, let's see. You can't like voters who fill out their ballot in red or glitter pen. That's always fun because the scanner can't read it. Glitter pens. And that really messes up the glass plate over the read heads on the scanner. (laughs) Then there are people who, you know, coffee stained, eaten by toddlers. There was one voter who kept cutting the barcode off of their ballot envelope. There's just one small problem. Without that barcode, we can't give the voter credit for receiving the ballot. Hey, friend. 
As always, I hope you're enjoying the show. And also, as always, I have a favor to ask. America's two parties are like Coke and Pepsi. They're both pretty much the same, and you'd be better off with neither. And it's been my long-held belief that electoral reform and proportional representation are the cure for the dysfunction in Washington and the corrupting influence of special interests. It means that parties have to govern towards the center, and it opens up the door for more additional parties to come and introduce more diverse viewpoints. And if you believe in this cause, I'm going to ask you for two things. Number one, subscribe to this podcast and share it with everyone you know. Only 38% of Americans feel the two-party system does a good job of representing their interests, so I know there are a few more people out there who need to hear this. Now, number two, start a conversation with me on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, or on my website, ydhty.com. It's lonely here in lockdown, and I think the big Gino has been blocking my number. So with that out of the way, back to the show. I'm loving the glitter pens. I still remember the time a voter filled out their ballot in red pen, and I literally had to dig through a stack of probably 2,800 ballots. And of course, it was in the middle mm-hmm. to find this ballot, and it had to go to the it had to go to a different department to get remade, so the scanner could read it and the voters' vote would be counted. Yeah, yeah, and so. Do you, I, you know, I, I keep, I, I know we keep going back to Bush v. Gore, but I just keep on thinking about how, uh, you know, how this would all work out in, you know, in, in the instance of a tight election. And I think one thing I'm wondering is, are we, do we do a disservice to, especially big, big elections, so presidential elections, uh, congr- you know, congressional elections, federal elections, do we do a disservice to them by having this sort of up to the minute coverage of results? In a lot of ways, it certainly doesn't help. One of the things that made Florida so complicated in 2000 is Florida is in two separate time zones. Mm-hmm. Part of the state's in central time, like around the panhandle, and then the rest of us are on, East, on Eastern time. Yeah. So when people say they want the results at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard, the folks in the panhandle still get an extra hour to vote. You know, it's like, don't mess, you know, don't mess with their, don't harsh their mellow, please. <laughs> and I remember that was a big... I, you know, that was a big uh, uh, argument on the side of Bush was that I think it was, I think I want to say it was Dan Rather, if not every network had called Florida in favor of Gore when uh, polls in the panhandle were still open, which tends to be a little more conservative. And again, when you're talking about a vote, a margin of error of, of hundreds, uh, you know, that's, that can have a real influence. Um so, I, yeah, it's 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 super interesting. I mean, I I, I don't think there's any way I, I don't think there's any way to regulate media coverage of it. But it is it is interesting to think of the pressure that puts on election officials to get a count early mm-hmm. and get a count right away. The media has conditioned everybody into instant results. Mm-hmm. Now, with the way election models are going right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's going to necessarily be the most realistic proposition. Um, Vote by mail takes a while to count. Actually, by law, I don't think you can start tabulating mail ballots until 7 p.m. on election night, at least Mm -hmm. in Florida. Mm -hmm. So if if, you know, there are other and other states that um, Wisconsin, the Wisconsin election, they were smart. They did not do a long protracted vote counting like states like California did. Mm -hmm. They just said, look, we're going to give you the results on this day, deal with it. We're not releasing partial results. 
And so when they released the results a week after the election, they had complete results. Everything was ready to go to certification. And I think as far as reporting goes, they did a really good job. Yeah. Do you think, do you think more states should kind of follow suit there and maybe not give, not feed the, you know, I don't want to harsh on the media here, but kind of not feed the 24 hour news cycle and say, you all are just going to have to wait until we're sure about this thing. I would absolutely love to see that, but you know, the me, unfortunately the media would probably take some offense to that. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole point, here's how you know it's a good election when you don't wind up on the six o'clock news. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I, 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 I do think that, you know, look like in some instances you can predict it fairly quickly. Again, my state of Massachusetts, who is going to win a Senate race or who is going to win a congressional race is never up for question here. It is, it is going to be blue up and down the line. That's kind of just the way it works. And so I, I have no problem if the exit polls give, them, give a 25-point a margin to the victor for them broadcasting that. You know, that's reasonable. I think it's when you start to get to those like razor thin margins. Like even the, the recent gubernatorial election in Florida was pretty close, correct? Yes, it was. Um, part of why that race was so close is it was a very poorly designed ballot in one of the counties. Now, Which, most of the counties had the Senate race right on top of the ballot. Mm-hmm. And one of the counties in the South had the Senate race all the way at the bottom of the ballot. And I mean, it brings me meaning to the term down ballot race, except yeah. this was supposed to be the marquee race. I've got to bring out my cynical side again here. Like, I, I, I just feel like, I feel like a system like that, a system where each county designs its own ballot, would leave a ton of room for, let's say, somebody a little more powerful in the state with connections in a particular office to design or influence the design of a ballot for malevolent purposes. This is me from the outside not having been involved in counting ballots and designing ballots, anything like that. Am I, is there any truth to, to, to that conspiracy theory or is that, do you feel that falls more on the highly unlikely side of things? I would say that might be a, wading a little more into conspiracy theory. Okay. The vast, ballots are tricky to design. Yep. On their best day, they are hard. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there are no magical ballot fairies that wave a magic wand and poof, perfectly designed, <laughs> laid out, proofed, and printed. Yeah. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah. So ballot design, a lot of times, they're trying to do something that makes the ballot more accessible or readable for voters or it improves the space consideration. And law of unintended consequences, it creates another problem. You know, I think a lot of us, too, are conditioned to kind of seek out the worst possible answer for why something happened the way it it did. And I think a lot of Americans operate under the perception that elections are designed to favor a specific party. But what I'm picking up from you, it sounds like really the system is far too... Uh, it's far too dispersed and far too varied and far too local for there to be any sort of widespread conspiracy to rig a vote in someone's favor. Is that, am I, am I hearing you correctly or am I, am I wrong? I mean, I'm not going to say that the potential for rigging doesn't exist, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, a lot of the issues with elections as far from the, at least on the ground level, Mm -hmm. they are, 
nobody saw them coming or at least nobody with any power saw them coming. And sometimes people try to be really slick and clever and they wind up outfoxing themselves. Um, The ballot in 2018 was a really good example. Both parties had to sign off on that ballot. And so that they could, they couldn't, you can't claim conspiracy if you and the other party both get to look at the ballot and sign off on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Cause yeah, I mean, I, look, I think transparency is good. I think there's always room for criticism, but I would also say that there, I think we have to be measured in how we talk about elections because what you don't want to do is you don't want to create again, this sort of, array of conspiracy theories that have people losing faith that their vote even matters. And I do feel like the dialogue to an extent has lurched in that direction, unfortunately. And I would say that's, that's something I, I that's something I think spread equally amongst both parties um, from what I've heard. I don't know if you have any comment there or not. No, I absolutely understand. And that does break my heart when people think the vote doesn't count because they do count. Mm-hmm. It's just, if you don't know, if you don't know the rules, then that ups the risk that a ballot may not count or if something happens during the election that's completely unforeseen or something really just trying to think of the word i don't want to say stupid but just poorly timed happens Mm -hmm. then sometimes those votes don't count and pretty much every election administrator i know of takes that personally it's like we do feel like we failed that voter and we'd like to maximize the chances that our voters count yeah. I mean, because without voters, we're lonely geeks with clipboards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We and, need voters. <laughs> yeah. And every, and every municipality has their own lonely geek with a clipboard that just wants to run a decent election. Yes. We just, for the most part, we just want a good, clean fight. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm not going to say that there's not, I'm not going to say corruption doesn't exist. It does. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of election administrators are really hardworking souls who do a lot of work for very little pay and they run things pretty well. One thing I want to, I want to shift to here is, you know, obviously like I, I here in, um, here in Massachusetts, I think for the most part, we all use paper ballots. Uh, that seems to still be the norm. And obviously there are lots of folks who are, you know, there's, there's lots of other options being discovered, touchscreen devices, online voting and all that. Is there a benefit to shifting electronic, do you feel, or, or not so much? I really don't think the security is there yet, and they have yeah. been working on that a very long time. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to say that in the future that might not be a possibility, mm-hmm. but right now it's just not there yet. Paper ballots really are the you – they've got it. You can, you can actually go back to the ballot and see what people marked. Yeah. And – Unfortunately, with electronic with electronically returned marked and returned ballots, uh-huh. you don't have the assurance that the information on that ballot didn't get intercepted and altered in some way, especially with a PDF. Yeah, that's that's how I always felt. I mean, even in in 2016, when there were allegations of uh, foreign interference, of Russian interference in elections, you know, one of the things I one of the strengths I remember. Uh, that of of being highlighted in America's electoral system was the fact that we're so analog and was the fact that it's very, very difficult to tamper with a system that's run on pen and paper. Do you feel we'll ever, ever get there or do you feel we just kind of have to do things the old-fashioned way? 
I think for I think probably for the foreseeable future, yeah, we're still going to be on paper, mm-hmm. mostly because it's just it's a lot. You because people would have our people would have have a stroke if yeah. it went over to all electronic. Yeah. Now it would be more convenient, but yeah. as far as verifying everything, and blockchain is not the answer. Blockchain requires way too much power on a server. Oh, you had me off at the pass. <laughs> that was going to be my next question right there. So no blockchain either, huh? No. Um, well, blockchain is, I think blockchain could have some practical applications for voter registration databases. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that, some, that somebody, an attacker could do is alter a voter registration database. Yeah. And with blockchain, you know who is in the ledger. Mm-hmm. There, there could be some applications with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. But, um, but as far as, as far as the voting system, I know that West Virginia has the system right now for uh, military voters. Mm-hmm. And although they haven't had any issues yet, it doesn't mean that there couldn't be in the future. And there's been some issues with that company and uh, researchers who have disclosed of bugs and vulnerabilities. Yeah. And one of the things, if you're in election security, you do not throw your researchers or the people who discover problems under the bus because mm-hmm. they can work against you just as easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like to keep the, ha- it's keep the hackers happy and it's amazing how much they will help you. Yeah, I would, I would like to pause for a second because I'm pretty sure everybody listening has heard the term blockchain, may not know exactly what it does. I'm not going to explain it. Just pause, Google blockchain, and then you can hit play again if you don't know what it does already because I, I don't think you and I have the time to, to discuss all that. But yeah, so, so you're saying, I mean, do you actually, like, do, do election officials actually employ, like, ethical hackers, so to speak, or, or no? Um, no. There's, there's always been kind of a, a schism between the election security world and the election administration world. Mm-hmm. They're gradually starting to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. But, um, for, I mean, for the longest time, neither side trusted the other, and for good reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the th- folks who were finding vulnerabilities were acting outside of a legal capacity, and they ran the risk of getting sued by multiple vendors. Mm. Mm. And okay. that's never, you know, having to deal with a huge lawsuit, never fun, especially when you're like a mild-mannered hacker and you've got a huge voting machine vendor on your tail. Yeah, yeah, I could see that being a problem. One thing you brought up I would, I'd like to talk about a bit is you brought up voting rolls, and that was another thing that came up out of 2016. Uh, there was, and again, it was sort of a, a wave that came crested and then disappeared, but there was talk about voter fraud and about voter rolls being inaccurate. Do you view that in any way as a problem or is that, was that, do you feel overstated? I think that there, fraud is less of a concern of mine than data going missing for some reason mm-hmm. or for, um, the wrong information to be input and the voter and it messing up the voter's chance of being able to vote a regular ballot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So I think like if I'm, if I'm summing this up for everybody listening, then it sounds like the, and, and you can kind of correct me here, but it sounds like the system that we have for running elections is very, very diverse is generally run by volunteers or people who are, or, or municipal officials who are working on a very local level, just trying to do a good job. 
overall the system for the system's not ideal for the 24-hour news cycle it's not ideal for razor thin races and every now and then of all involves odd modes of transportation such as helicopters and boats how'd i do pretty well all right all right nice kind of capping things off what's the one thing you think we could be doing now to make elections better i think that Voters do better and they show up to vote when they know what they're supposed to do and where they're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. I think that there really does. I wish that we had a better um, structure for teaching kids civics and how elections work on the local and county levels. I mean, it's not just it's not just engagement. It's just it's explaining to people, hey, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. And here is why you don't do it. It sounds to me like like the big thing that you feel is needed is education and information effectively, right? I think so. Now, I hate to ruin a good conspiracy theory, especially when that theory is mine, but it seems that a lot of the talk around the electoral system being game to favor one party or another, at, the, at least at the ballot box, is a little overblown. And this isn't to say that this kind of gimmickry doesn't exist, but from my conversation with Jenya... It seems to be the exception rather than the rule. Now, what seems to be a bigger problem is our demand for up to the second election results in a system where elections are often decided by razor-thin margins. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of those elections don't even apply to you. I mean, how many times have you watched for the election results in a state thousands of miles away from you? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Now... While we can't put John King and his magical flat screen out of a job, don't ask me why I'm always picking on John King and his fancy electoral map, there are a couple things we can do to improve the state of electoral affairs in the United States. Number one, making it easier to get absentee ballots. And number two, better voter education. Could encourage more people to participate in the process and potentially give greater accountability to government. Both are hard. But it's not as hard as getting the larger media outlets to stop reporting on elections like a football game. Now, next week, we're taking a trip to West Texas to speak with Wacy Alpha Cody. Wacy is an ex-rodeo rider and one-time actor in a Twisted Tea commercial who is now running as the Libertarian candidate for Texas's 11th district, a congressional district twice the size of my home state of Massachusetts. Now... Wacy is a colorful and interesting character in his own right, but his platform is one that I think all of us can agree with, so I hope you'll join me. Per usual, music courtesy of Prellertack, YDHTY is produced by the big Gino, Jason Putney. Check us out on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and our internet stronghold, YDHTY.com. Until the next, this is Dan Sally, signing off.